0: This is Why We Write, a podcast of Leslie University. Every episode, we bring you conversations with authors from the Leslie community to talk about books, writing, and the writing life. I'm Georgia Sparling, and it's been a while. We took an unintentional hiatus since November, um, and I do have some news for you. Before we jump into today's episode, I wanted to let you know that this will be my last one hosting the podcast as I move on to a new job. I want to say a big thank you to all of you who have listened to the podcast over the years. We have what to me is an astounding almost 19,000 downloads for our little show. I've learned so much about podcasting and writing since this show started So I may be leaving Why We Write, but I want to let you know that I have handed the reins over to a fellow podcaster, avid reader, and writer. I'll let him introduce himself when he's ready, but he's got all that he needs to bring Why We Write into a new era, and I'm really excited to hear what it sounds like next. So definitely stay subscribed to this channel. Okay, now to the show. We don't often get to feature current students on the podcast, but today Zinny Rockland joins us to talk about their Shirley Jackson award-winning novella, Flowers for the Sea. Zinn is in our MFA in Creative Writing program and sits down virtually with faculty member and author Lori Foos to talk about speculative fiction, representation in books, and so much more. Here are Lori and Zinn. Okay.
1: Hi, Zinn. How are you?
0: I'm good. How are you, Lori?
1: So good to see you. It's uh, and hear you. It is um it is a pleasure to be talking to you today about your novella, uh, "Flowers for the Sea," which won the Shirley Jackson Award for the novella category. Um, I just wanted to say first off, since you are a current student in the Leslie MFA low-residency program in creative writing. Huge congratulations on this award. On behalf of myself and all of the Leslie faculty and staff, I want to say how thrilled we all are for you for this hugely prestigious award. Um, How did you feel uh, once you found out that you won? And can you share with us a little bit about how you found out and what your reaction was? I mean, imagine that would be an enormous thrill.
2: Well, it was yeah, it was definitely I was actually on my way to New Orleans for World Fantasy and it was the twenty-ninth and I landed in Atlanta and to get my connecting flight and I turned on my phone and my phone just went nuts. And I was like, oh, What wow. is <laughs> what is going on? And as long as I like I checked and made sure it wasn't from my dad to make sure there was nothing going on at home. Right. Well, not from my brother i was like all right cool so then i looked and they were like congratulations oh my goodness blah, blah, blah. i was like no wait wait a minute because i completely uh, forgot i forgot right. that the shirley jacksons were on and someone just straight up texted me and said you you won the shirley jackson and i was like what and i looked and i looked and i saw the official announcement on on twitter and i kind of like i was in the airport trying not to like I squealed a little bit I get on my next flight I was I was upgraded to first class out of nowhere like I had no idea but I was upgraded to first class and then so I sat there and my seatmate was like I don't know you I was like I am so sorry but I am celebrating right now I just won a major award for my writing. And he was like, right. congratulations. So we both got oh. drink. It was so nice of him. He was
1: really sweet. He was really sweet. Oh, that's great.
2: Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Definitely pretty awesome.
1: So I'm going to read from the back of your book, just so people listening can know what it's about. And then I was, thought we'd segue into a little bit of discussion about speculative fiction, just sort of generally, and then come back around to your to your novella. Um, which I loved, by the way. And it's just wonderfully lyrical and surprising. And one of the things that struck me, among many things, is the way in which you use such beautiful language, especially as the horror um, elements increase. Um, I thought that was a wonderful juxtaposition. So Zinn's novella, Flowers for the Sea, Um, is about survivors from a flooded kingdom who struggle alone on an ark. Resources are scant and ravenous sea beast circle. Their fangs are sharp. Um, Among the refugees is Eroxy. Am I saying it right? Yep. Eroxy. Ostracized, despised, and a commoner who refused a prince. She's pregnant with a child who might be more than human. Her fate may be darker and more powerful than she can imagine. Um. Yeah. So it's just wonderful. Um, So anyway, I thought let's talk a little bit about speculative fiction. And I said, uh, and so as you know, in the Leslie MFA program, I teach seminars in magical realism and fabulism. And I write um, fabulous, I guess, sometimes speculative. My new novel is speculative. um, and, And there are so many other spaces where we talk about these categories and what they entail and what they may or may not include. So I found a definition from um, speculative, liter- li- speculative Literature Foundation that describes it as a catch-all term meant to inclusively span the breadth of fantastic literature, encompassing literature ranging from hard science fiction to epic fantasy to ghost stories to horror to folk and fairy tales to slipstream to magical realism to modern myth-making and more that it means to speculate, to theorize. The questions, what if this happened, or what if the world were this way, often are the seedlings to speculative fiction stories. And I just wondered, does that gel with your own definition? And in asking those what-if questions, can you talk a little bit about the world that you've built in your novella, Flowers for the Sea, and are there particular writers or even craft books that you turn to to build that world?
2: Uh, I would say that yeah that's a really fancy way of saying <laughs> 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 basically what speculative fiction is it, it's uh, it's definitely about the what- ifs um but it's what- ifs that are based on on the reality that we live now though the worlds are seem may seem extreme they seem um too fantastical they are still Mm -hmm. based on the reality of what is presented here um and it it seeks solutions is what speculative fiction does or it presents it presents a conundrum or an issue um in a way that gives us a new way of speaking about it um but i would say that I just mostly am a not a, a fiction dork. Like I love fiction. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so the major influence when I started this was NK Jemison. Um, right. NK Jemison is definitely my number, probably my number one influence in my writing in general. And uh, Butler, Octavia E. Butler is just, she's my goddess like right. i was gonna
1: i was gonna use the same word yeah. yes she yeah. is she
2: is just an incredible incredible author i can aspire to reach the world that she created but i also know that i have plenty i have plenty of room to mess with other worlds as well um but it's like it to create my own world as well as is what more so what i mean I wanted to see myself on the written page and speculative fiction was something that expanded my mind beyond a lot of the kind of honestly, like really sad storylines that were Mm -hmm. being presented. Mm -hmm. Um, I love Toni Morrison. I love Alice Walker, but I was kind of tired of those stories and i want the stories
1: where women are brutalized and brutalized a- and and just and just
2: just yes just brutalized there's no other way to put mm-hmm. it. i don't want to necessarily say just sad cuz that's an oversimplica- oversimplification but just brutalized mm-hmm. um and i just i wanted to explore something more and when i wanted to explore something more is when i went to speculative fiction and unfortunately the speculative fiction that is presented to you from the get-go is by white men right this white men <clears throat> so um i started there and just started going a little bit deeper and then i found i found octavia butler by accident because the cover actually had a white woman on it but i was Mm. like at least it's a woman and (laughs) and it went from there and i I just started digging from there and um from there i found Cherie renee thomas's dark matter and finding that collection was just was um, was incredible that was just that spoke to me in so many ways
1: you just talked about something that i was thinking about in um and I read your your essay in Uncanny magazine um, titled My Genre Makes a Monster Out of Me, um, which I love and I, which I encourage people to read. It's a beautiful, raw and often heartbreaking essay about blackness, queerness, mental health and disability. Um, I, it spoke a lot to me as someone, um, the mother of a son with lifelong disabilities, as the mother of a queer daughter. Um, I also have scoliosis, by the way. Um, and you talk about not seeing anyone. And I've heard so many students, especially from so many um, LGBTQ students, students with invisible disabilities, and, um, and especially students of color, saying what you said here is that you did not see yourself. You couldn't find yourself uh, represented in film or in books. Um, and, you spe- and you especially talk about uh, Disney films um, and that w- while you love them, um, I, I believe you love you love them, right? You were saying that how much you love the mm-hmm. fairy tale mm-hmm. aspects mm-hmm. of them, and and even in the sanitized fairy tale aspects, how did that fuel your writing? And did that fuel this particular novella? Does that fuel all of your writing? Is do you feel that like, that's kind of a, a mandate for you to um, to have readers be seen in your work?
2: Um, I'm a selfish writer, not gonna lie. Uh, it was it, <laughs> My primary focus is the little girl who grew up loving horror and speculative fiction who didn't see herself. Mm. And as I got older and also to
1: open. So did j- you read Stephen King as the as the OK.
2: Yep. Read Stephen King. Read Dean Koontz. Read mm-hmm. uh, all of them. All the the white men. All the white men. Yeah. All the white men.
1: Yeah.
2: And uh, so it was. It's also a way to gather other black women who aren't Mm -hmm. the who are "quote unquote" different Mm -hmm. when we're really not all that different. We're just varying human degrees of human as anybody else. But there is this assumption that you know, black people don't like rock when we invented it. Um, Black black people don't like horror when we live it. Mm. Um, Mm. Black people don't like science when we are scientists and, and we've invented things that we use in our daily lives and things like that. Um, Mm. So there's this, especially growing up, you're alienated so far, so much from, from your fellow peers is what it really comes down to—that um, you are clumped into these stereotypical behaviors and thought processes and interests—and once you, once we get older and we get bolder, and we realize, no, no, these are these are ours as well. Um, I want to. I'm writing for for us as well. I'm definitely writing for a little black girl who loved rock and mm-hmm. may have been picked on by misguided others so it's just definitely it's a, a an avenue for just like you were saying from that essay to be centered in a way that is powerful that mm. is that is consequential that is is is, is just good (laughs) just just something that is good something that we can hold on to something that we can aspire to something that we can surpass anything that gives us the the boldness to continue to to expand to be more than what is being shown
1: to us tact like, if that makes sense? Yeah, I think it absolutely does. Um, I, I I had a student, um, an LGBTQ student, a while ago, it, uh, who said that her mission was to um, to make LGBT, LGBTQ people characters. Why does it? Why does the story always need to be about the struggle? Which mm-hmm. is, I think, what you were getting at in terms of the. Tony Morrison and Alice Walker which is so much about struggle. Um and why can't they why can't these characters be superheroes or secretaries the LGBTQ character is just part of a story. So many people hearing that will will um will, will that will resonate with them. Um so I read getting back to the novella in another interview with you that that this came from a a prompt the the idea is that true yeah
2: it was (laughs) i don't even i honestly don't remember
1: was it a twitter prompt is that right
2: yeah it was a twitter prompt uh from this particular bot that is about the sea um and i've always been fascinated by the sea like (laughs) um i can't swim unfortunately. I'm one of those that wade in the water type of thing. Like, I love the water. I love to be in the water. But at the same time, I also have a healthy fear of the water because it is the least explored piece of our earth. And we've explored the stars more than we've explored the ocean, which really freaks me out. At the same time, it's a fascination. So I, I subscribe to this bot and the line was, the children imitate razor fangs. And ah. I have no idea. Usually stories are percolating in my head for a little while. But I just took it and I ran with it. And I fell in love with it. And Roxy, Roxy's voice was immediate. It was it, like there was no, no hesitation in making this a first person narrative. It was, it just springboarded. Like it was all of my frustrations with romantic relationships, with, mm-hmm. um, with my place in the world, with um, this idea of motherhood, with so much, there was so much frustration that I poured into this. And it took me about four weeks to write, um i took a break i wrote for a solid week then i took a break for about two weeks and then another two weeks i finished it um because i had the goal of doing Nano naNoWriMo after this
1: after oh wow
2: <laughs> you know how much i wrote for NaNoWriMo that year like 250 words it was bad <laughs> i don't know what i was thinking but um yeah it was it was it was it started out as a twitter prompt
1: so, as you were talking about this, one thing I wondered was it so much of the story um about Aroxy as a refugee on the ship and that she is with child, um explores the idea of motherhood and childbearing as being like a, a monstrous act. um something something we can trace back, right? I was thinking as far back as Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, um and what drew you to this matter? and and also, you don't have children, is that right? Correct. I was wondering what was that like for you to write a birthing scene, and what challenges did that present in depicting the act. I mean, it's not a, a, a traditional birth, right? <laughs> <laughs> but, but what challenges did that present? Because one of the things I thought was so wonderful about the novella is is the is the length that that goes on. And as someone who has children, it is an incredibly powerful. Um, act. And so I think we see that too, is that Roxy comes into her power in giving birth.
2: It really started from the horror stories. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which to me is like... I. Re- so I remember my mom was pretty open about when she gave birth to me, she had to have a double episiotomy. And I oh, remember... Wow. And I knew this from very young. And I knew what a episiotomy
1: was. Right. My mother told me that stuff too. <laughs> <laughs> my mother used to say. Every birthday she'd call me and say. You had an enormous head. <laughs> <laughs> a lot
2: of. What, i worked through my therapy. Through writing. Essentially. Um, But I think. We take. Pregnancy and birth for granted, because mm-hmm. so much can go wrong. Um, but for generations, for centuries, for so long, for millennia, we've been doing something right. Mm. And it's like the more complicated we make it, the more the more accidents happen. Like my mm-hmm. mom, my dad was raised by a woman who was a, was also of the many hats she wore. She was also a midwife, so he would tell me stories about having to like fetch the hot water and the towels and things like that. And he wasn't obviously in the room; he was a boy. So, but um, and just like knowing the processes and understanding. How there is this almost innate kind of sense to understand what's going on with the body and how to shift mm. the body and to roll the body. We go completely against what, like, you know, squatting in a field and (laughs) giving birth. The more technology that's introduced, while there are advantages to the technology, there's still a lot of disadvantages that take away the intimacy Mm -hmm. and power of giving birth. And it's something, it's that relationship, that dichotomy that's always interested me. Um, And also the fact that there's hormones pumped into your brain to make you forget the pain
1: so that you do Mm -hmm. it again. Like, Mm what? What? Like, right. <laughs> right. Like, My daughter, who's seventeen, keeps asking me that. Is that true? And I say, Well, yeah. I think it is. It, it must be because you you remember the experience, but you can't remember. You can't get at that sensation. You, there is something that just
2: blocks uh, that out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, I had another kid sixteen months later, so it must work. Yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's always fascinated me to for the power that a female body has that the birth giving body has to Mm. bleed every month and not die to hold life to that life in itself will persist in any way that it possibly can literally leaching calcium from your teeth in order to in order to live like it's just it's the 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 small sacrifices that end up building to so much that birth giving people um make in order to continue life on this earth so this was this was in service of reverence to of my of of birth giving people Mm. um This was my admiration for them, my fear of them, to be honest with you, Um, because it takes a a kind of power that and a kind of strength that a lot of people don't quite give enough credit for, Um, and I wanted to challenge the idea of this kind of soft motherhood where everything is you know i literally had feedback from someone who said oh i thought i thought mothers like glow when they give when they have kids when they're yeah. pregnant and right. i'm like yeah that's sweat you know i wanted to shed light on the reality of
1: it yeah and i think there's still so much taboo around even among women um that in talking about giving birth that we when we retell our stories we try to um soften them i think in some way Um, we leave out the you know the 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 horror parts because there are you know it is there is blood and there is lots of um pain and all of that and i think that you that Clearly it came across to me that that the act of birth for this character especially is an act of empowerment and through this through the birth giving she becomes empowered. Um so I think one the other things I was thinking that you, you work so much in metaphor and so much of speculative fiction and and fairy tale and uh and so I was wondering if in the act of writing not just this story, but in any of your stories, are you a planner? or a pantser, right? So are you someone who plans, or are you someone who flies by the seat of your pants? I'll ask you that one first.
2: So I am a terrible pantser. <laughs> I am too. <laughs> I am a and I need to, especially for this upcoming project, I need to become a planner. Um,
1: yeah, so can you tell us a little bit, uh, after you finish this question, can you tell us a little bit about your next project? Um,
2: as far as, planning and pantsing um yeah i'm definitely a pantser. I it's more it's because of i like being caught up in the moment mm-hmm. um and and just the excitement of ooh, what's gonna happen next and i'm almost like the reader in that sense right where it's like ooh, now it's up to me it's awesome like <laughs> 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 right like a choose your own right. adventure that i wrote <laughs> right right so um, it's definitely fun. It's fun being a panther, but at, at this stage in my It's
1: scary too, It's right? also it's scary. scary. Yeah, yeah. Because then you think, oh God. So I was wondering about, since so much of it rests in metaphors, do you understand your own metaphors as you're going? And, or do you fi- have to figure them out? Because so, I don't understand mine at all. So I'm just wondering if you understand yours.
2: <laughs> I definitely don't. I definitely don't. I the thing is is that I just write what comes to me. Mm-hmm. And then later on I look at it and I'm like, "Yo, that's kind of oh, that's amazing." <laughs> that's a, like I pat myself on the back type of thing. <laughs> like like where did that come from? <laughs> it's funny because um my host who i was staying with after the residency, i was staying with a couple friends um after this last residency at Leslie. She was talking about a young lady And she said she's too young to see the inside of her face. Oh, wow. Right. And she just said it offhand. I totally stole it. I totally stole it. I was like, I told like Lena, Lena, this is mine. But yeah, it's like moments like that where you end up writing these things and then later on, like it's almost like something takes over when you Mm -hmm. write when I write. Um and in a lot of ways it's like like these kind of colloquialisms and things like that. Like my father, my both of my parents are from Trinidad. Mm-hmm. And there are times where they'll say these these sayings and I'll get chills down my back. And I'm like, oh I need that. I need to write that. It just turns something in my brain. Definitely in the moment, I'll be like, What am I writing? This is weird. It sounds pretty. All right, I'll leave it. And then I reread it and I'm like, I am a philosopher.
1: <laughs> those are the moments we live for right 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 like oh i'm a genius, yeah, oh I'm my a gosh. genius. <laughs> and then 20 seconds later we're in the corner we're with impossibility ourselves th- right right, right. <laughs> it's sobbing in the corner so i uh, getting to what you were just saying um about so you wrote also about in your that same essay about um and also in the interview you're your family is from Trinidad, is that mm-hmm. right? Correct. And, and you were born in the U.S.?
2: Yeah, I was born in Brooklyn.
1: Like I was thinking about Gabriel Garcia Marquez talking about how he discovered in writing, I don't know whether this is an actual, this actually happened. I like to think that it did. But on this trip from Mexico City to Guadalajara, he came up with the idea for 100 Years of Solitude and had been working in this very different way and, and was a journalist for many years and decided that, he needed to tell the kinds of stories that his grandmother told which were full of magic um that but she would tell them with a brick face and so that that's what he needed to do and so that line between magic and what's magical what's not real and what's real is so such a hard line i think in in white america right like the white mainstream um perhaps because we were there are settlers were colonists were puritanical. I don't know. Um, but in thinking about how that line might have been different in, in the culture of your parents, let's say in Trinidad, is that line different? So do you think that, and if so, the line between what's magical, and the mythical, your own uh, mythology, do you feel that that feeds into your work? my, parents
2: country and which i consider my country as well um definitely fed into feeds actively feeds into my work i really fell in love with storytelling through how my father would read me stories he right. used to get stories from like um from odd job so that's where mm-hmm. uh, which is like a discount store um and we would get like these. We would get the hardcore grim versions, and another one was oh, GM. Wow, yeah, GM Batista is another set of uh, a series of fairy tales, mm-hmm. but they're they're pretty brutal. But yeah, I fell in love with the way that my dad would tell stories. So anytime when I started reading on my own, the way that he told stories is how I would read it. And right. then of course we have our own mythologies, we have our own folklore. And I like being in Trinidad is just like being in a magical place. You mm. feel the thinness of the veil between worlds. Um, especially since we have this communication and reverence for the dead. Um mm. and so, you know, there's stories of like of wanting to of, of taking care of the dead uh, mm-hmm. uh like we have all souls day um which is november 1st um where literally the the cemetery is a party um
1: unfortunately, so like, uh, el dia de las muertes yeah like that yeah you know yeah. there's not not a lot of the celebration and flowers a, and yeah. food and yep. yeah food
2: and music and and lighting a candles and like reminiscing and talking, just basically talking shit and just having a really good time. And I think, you know, like the folklore, like I'll never forget the story of Dwen, which is, uh, the, the ghosts of unbaptized children. Mm -hmm. And you can tell that they're Dwen by their feet are turned backwards. They're all naked, they waist, they wear large sun hats, and you don't see their teeth when they're wearing these sun hats. They just sound like regular kids. But their feet are turned backwards, and they always try to tempt you to come into the woods. This is all to basically make sure wow. that you came into the house on time.
1: Right, right, right. There are practical reasons.
2: <laughs> exactly. Right, right. But at the same time, when you're walking through the bush... And you hear you're that rustle, like, <laughs> <laughs> right? You're like, "Oh no, uh-uh, uh-uh, I'm getting out of here."
1: Oh hell no! Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Oh wow, that's fascinating. Um, so can you talk a little bit about what you're working on now? You talked about uh, your next project, and and you know, I will disclose that you were my student, your first semester, I believe, yes. right? Yes. So, yes, I was. Do you do you have another novella that is? Um, I have another novella that's to...
2: Zoom. So let's Is it that... also
1: with Tor with yes. Tor publishing? Okay.
2: And my my novella was published by Tor.com, which pr- primarily sells novellas, as right. well as they do novel um nov- novelettes and short stories online.
1: It's so great because because it's so difficult to publish novellas. And yeah. It's such an incredible I think it's my favorite form. I think so, too. I think it's a great form. Yeah. And it's just... and you, It's really hard to... They're really hard to publish. Yeah. A
2: lot more indie presses are on them. Mm-hmm. So that's, it's wonderful to see that novellas are starting to get the respect that they deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, my editor and my agent have been incredibly supportive. And um, that's the wonderful thing about it. And so I'm working on... That project is... Basically, if Cinderwell Cinderella were queer black and a mercenary,
1: oh wow, I love that. do you have a title so far? uh not yet, not yet, okay,
2: I'm working on the title as as uh A j Verdell says, if the story is good,
1: we get the title from the story, so I was like, all right, all right, I'll trust that that's true. it usually does reveal it, although i, I don't know i'm I'm still terrible with titles i'm they're awful they're with difficult. Titles. <laughs> yeah yes. they're 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 very very hard are you working on the novella as part of your program or are you separating the two i think i might
2: be working on it now as part of the program okay. um i'm debating between that and a novel that i wrote start that i started writing um a few years ago which is dark fantasy mm-hmm. um basically my pitch is people
1: who can create weapons from their bones are hunted Ooh, that's good your work delves so much into bodies and yes and and i think i think the the fact that it gets to how we take bodies for granted especially typical bodies um and that so much of i think about for myself at least that um there was a there was a quote from I think it was from Christopher Hitchens his memoir when he that he wrote when he was dying and he said I realize that I don't have a body I am a body. And I think that's something that we forget, right? How how much our bodies able it's an ableist idea, right? This idea that we can that we have the luxury, the privilege of forgetting our bodies. Um, and I think that you write into so well I'm still thinking about your novella and, and I'm so pleased to see also that um I read some of your Goodreads reviews. Um and people really seem to have you've really seem to have responded so well to the to this novella. I, I snuck a little peek at your Twitter feed mm-hmm. and people are sort of popping up there and telling you, so that must really feel good, right? You have to you also have to navigate that space of not looking at your goodreads reviews too much right (laughs) not obsessing over over those kinds of things like do you go on twitter a lot i definitely have taken
2: a huge break from twitter um because i used to be on twitter a lot more um but i definitely am actively pushing away all those thoughts so that i can go back to the essence of why i write in the back of my head i'm like sophomore slump sophomore slump sophomore slump, slump mm, mm-hmm. and i talked to jason reynolds about it and jason was incredibly supportive he was just like yeah you're right to be scared of it <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> but what are you gonna do about it you gotta you right. have to still
1: write and i was like he has a way of of distilling things right right like, just because I talked to him about, uh, so for those of you listening, uh, Jason Reynolds, we are so fortunate to have in our Writing for Young People uh, track in at uh, Leslie, and I'm writing a middle grade novel. And so he was asking me how it was going and this and that, and I said, I'm scared. And he laughed, he laughed, he was like what are you scared of and i was like i don't know i'm just scared <laughs> it was like okay so be scared and keep going and i thought well you know of course so um so i'm glad that was helpful what he said to just to you know to okay so you're right to feel that way but got to get back to the work
2: yep exactly and that's that's pretty much where i'm at um
1: do you have a routine in terms of in terms of your when you write and uh, and I, I think you also work as a sensitivity reader, right? So you balance. I'm sure you're balancing that 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 part.
2: Yeah, balancing freelance schoolwork and writing this novella has definitely been a challenge, but it's it's mm-hmm. it's invigorating.
1: So, in terms of the program, what drew you to Leslie and um, and what sort of uh, what's been the best part for you in terms of just the writing and and fueling your own work? What attracted
2: me to Leslie was the intimacy of the program itself. It's not a program that is about just numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about quality of work and the quality of the student body in general. What really made me sign up for leslie was the kind of quiet successes mm-hmm. that it has yeah uh, because there are a lot of alumni that i'm actually working with an alum now on a ya short story Fennel. the program itself is while the nine days on campus are intense mm-hmm. they they're still a pace that doesn't that has no desire to leave you behind Um, and the available, the availability of staff and faculty is to me unheard of. I went to a small college and for my undergrad, and I still didn't get this particular kind of attention. Um, so to have that and to be able to also be able to reach back and communicate with you, Lori, like, I I don't feel like there's a way I don't feel cut off from you. Right, Like, I worked with you right. first semester, and I feel like I still could go to you and be like, I have no idea what I'm doing.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, anytime. Yes. Yeah.
2: So it's that's definitely what I love about Leslie.
1: So you do editing work and um, and sensitivity reading. Um, is there a place where people can find you if they're interested in?
2: I do have a website. It's uh, terrizin.com. So T-E-R-I-Z is in zebra, I-N as in Nancy dot com uh it needs to be updated sorely but i can but i still get communication from it so you can definitely reach me through there or you can find me on twitter at intelligent Watch. <laughs> i love
1: that so can you talk a little bit too about sensitivity reading and what um how did you get started doing that and um i know that's become huge especially in in um in ya fiction but i think it's moved further into much more adult yeah, and, and absolutely. people are seeking that out um and so why do you think people should seek that out first of all and um and what is it that you provide
2: the sensitivity reading in general is 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 handing over your manuscript to someone of demographics that you are not of yourself and don't have familiar don't have intimate familiarity with
1: hmm
2: sensitivity reading is important because we're just too grown we're too aware to be hurting marginalized groups at this point
1: um even unintentionally
2: even unintentionally we're just we're just we're too grown Mm -hmm. for this we have too much of of too many resources to avoid hurting um other folks at this point so it's definitely something that i believe in Uh, because there are so many good stories out there that ends up saying but but this one part was really really ignorant like we're just Mm -hmm. we're tired of saying that um so um i provide services as far as big background for lgbtqia uh for drug addiction for depression anxiety um in different disorders, things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's definitely something important because you don't want your story, your your excellent story to be hurt by
1: something that is just straight up ignorant. Right. To cause harm. <laughs> yes. All right. So I, I, we, we've been told Lee should wrap up. I could continue to talk to you for at least another hour. It's Aww. so good to talk to you. Uh, to talk with you, Zin, and and I, I am just thrilled for you. As are um, the whole faculty. We are just, um, I mean, there were just so many celebratory emails. <laughs> so, um, so we're just, just thrilled for you. And and uh, you know, personally, I'm so looking forward to seeing what you do next. Best of luck on your continued project and on everything that you're working on in your uh, in your Leslie writing as well and um and it's been a delight to talk with you
0: thank you thank you so much Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Check out our show notes to learn more about Zen and Lori, who has an amazing body of wonderfully bizarre books herself. You can also find a link to our MFA program if you'd like to learn more. And again, a big thank you to all of you who have listened since I started this project. And as I said before, please stay subscribed. And while you wait for new episodes, there are lots of backlist ones for you to enjoy. So thank you again and happy reading and writing.